Section 20 of Lay Down Your Arms. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Lay Down Your Arms by Bertha von Suttner, translated by Timothy Holmes. Chapter 5, Part 5. From the Prater I drove direct to my father's. The communication which I had to make to him would, I foresaw, give rise to unpleasant discussions. Still, I wanted to get over these inevitable unpleasantnesses as quickly as possible, and I preferred to face them at once under the first impression of the happiness I had just won. My father, who was a late riser, was still sitting over his breakfast with the morning papers when I ran into his study. Aunt Mary was present also, and likewise busy, over the paper. On my rather hasty entrance, my father looked up in surprise from the presser, and Aunt Mary laid down the Fremden blot. "'Martha, so early, and in riding dress! What does that mean?' I embraced them both, and then said, as I threw myself into an armchair, "'It means that I am come from a ride in the Prater, where something has taken place which I wanted to tell you about without delay, so I did not even take the time to drive home and change my dress.' "'And what is this thing so important and so pressing?' asked my father, lighting a cigar. "'Tell us. We are all anxiety.' "'Should I beat about the bush? Should I make introductions and preparations? No. Better leap in head over heels, as people leap from a springboard into the water. I have engaged myself.' Aunt Mary flung her hands over her head, and my father wrinkled his brow. I hope, however, not, he began, but I did not let him finish. Engaged myself to a man whom I love from my heart and reverence, and of whom I believe that he will make me completely happy, Baron Fried von Tilling. My father jumped up. What do you say, after all I said to you yesterday? Aunt Mary shook her head. I would sooner have heard a different name, she said. In the first place, Baron Tilling is not a match for you. He cannot have anything. And in the second, his principles and his views seem to me... His principles and his views coincide entirely with mine. And as to looking for a match, as it is called, I am not disposed to do so. Father, dearest father of mine, do not look so cruelly at me. Do not spoil the great happiness which I feel at this moment. My good, dear, beloved papa. Well, but, my child, he replied in a somewhat softened tone, for a little coaxing used always to disarm him, it is nothing but your happiness which I have in view. I could not feel happy with any soldier who is not a soldier from his heart and soul. But really you have not to marry Tilling, remarked Aunt Mary, in a very judicious way. The soldiership is the least matter in question, she added, but I could not be happy with a man who speaks in a tone of such little reverence of the God of the Bible as the other day. Allow me, dearest Aunt Mary, to call your attention to the fact that you have also not to marry Tilling. Well, what a man chooses is a heaven to him, said my father with a sigh, sitting down again. Tilling will quit the service, I suppose? We have not mentioned the subject as yet. I own I should prefer it, but I fear he will not do so. 
To think, sighed Aunt Mary, that you should have refused a prince, and now, instead of raising yourself, you will come down in the social scale. How unkind you are, both of you, and yet you say you love me. Here I come to you, the first time since poor Arno's death, with the news that I feel perfectly happy, and instead of being glad of it, you try to embitter it with all kinds of matters, militarism, Jehovah, the social scale. Still, after half an hour or so, I had succeeded somehow or other in talking the old folks around. After the conversation he had held with me the day before, I had expected my father's opposition to be much more violent. Possibly, if I had only spoken of projects and inclinations, he would have still striven hard to quench such projects and inclinations, but in presence of the fate accompli, he saw that resistance could not be of any further use. Or possibly, it was the effect of the overflowing feeling of bliss, which must have been sparkling in my eyes and quivering in my voice, which chased away his annoyance, and in which he was obliged against his will to take a sympathizing part. In fine, when I stood up to go, he pressed my cheek with a hearty kiss, and made me a promise that he would come to my house the same evening, and there salute his future son-in-law in that capacity. How the rest of the day and the evening passed, I am sorry to find not described in the Red Book. The details have escaped my recollections after so long a time. I only know they were delightful hours. At tea, I had the whole family circle assembled around me, and I presented my freed von Tilling to them as my future husband. Rosa and Lily were delighted. Conrad Althaus cried, Bravo, Martha! And now, Lily, you take a lesson. My father had either overcome his old antipathy, or he managed to conceal it for my sake, and Aunt Mary was softened and touched. Marriages are made in heaven, she said, and every one's lot is according to his will. You will be happy if you have God's blessing, and I will pray continually that you may have it. The new papa was presented to son Rudolph, too, and it was to me a moment of peculiar delight and joyful anticipation when the dear man took up my dear child in his arms, kissed him warmly, and said, of you, little fellow, we too will make a perfect man. In the course of the evening, my father put his idea about quitting the service into words. You will give up your profession, Tilling, I suppose, as you are already not in love with war. Tilling threw his head back with a gesture of surprise. Give up my profession? Why, I have no other and a man need not be in love with war to perform his military duty any more than— Yes, yes, my father interposed. That is what you said the other day. Any more than a fireman need be an admirer of conflagrations. I could bring forward more instances. No more than a physician need love cancer or typhus, or a judge be an especial admirer of burglaries. But to give up my way of life— what motive is there for that? The motive, said Aunt Mary, would be to spare your wife the life of a garrison town, and to spare her anxiety in case of a war breaking out, though such anxiety is, to be sure, nonsense, for if it is decreed to any one to live to be old, he lives so, in spite of all dangers. The reasons you have named would no doubt be weighty, 
to keep the lady who is to be my wife from all the unpleasantnesses of life as far as possible will certainly be my most earnest endeavour. But the unpleasantness of having a husband who would be without any profession or business would, I am sure, be even greater than those of garrison life. And the danger that my retirement might be charged against me by any one as laziness or cowardice would be even more terrible than those of a campaign. The idea really never occurred to me for a moment, and I hope not to you either, Martha. But suppose I made a condition of it? You would not do so, for otherwise I should have to renounce the height of bliss. You are rich. I have nothing except my military standing and the outlook to a higher rank in the future, and that is the possession I will not give up. It would be against all dignity, against my ideas of honour. Bravo, my son, now I am reconciled. It would be a sin and an outrage against your profession. You have not much farther to go to be colonel, and will certainly rise to general's rank, may at last become commandant of a fortress, governor, or minister of war. That gives your wife also a desirable position. I remained quite silent. The prospect of being a commandant's lady had no charms for me. It would have better suited me to have spent my life with the man of my choice in retirement in the country. But still, the resolution he had just expressed was dear to me, for it protected him from any stain of the suspicion which my father nourished against him, and which would certainly have clung to him in the eyes of the world. Yes, quite reconciled, my father went on, and rightly too, for I believed it was chiefly for that purpose. Now, now, you need not look in such a rage, I mean, partly, for the purpose of withdrawing into private life, and that would have been very unfair of you. Unfair, too, towards my Martha, for she is the child of a soldier, the widow of a soldier, and I don't believe that she could love a man in civilian's costume for a continuance. Tilling was now obliged to smile. He threw me a look which said plainly, I know you better, and answered aloud, I think so, too. She really only fell in love with my uniform. End of section 20